You know, what is it about songs that they sometimes just get stuck in your head? I know a lot of times at home, we can always trade off something. If I start singing a song and suddenly five minutes later, Sarah will be humming it along and we play that little game where she says, see, I gave you my song. And she's like, oh, change it. I can't get it out of my head. Sometimes that's just true. You know, the ancient Greeks looked at music and they created what they called the doctrine of ethos, a big name for just something that says that music can affect us profoundly. It can move us in many ways. Music can move us into softness and tranquility. It can excite us. It can touch many different areas of our lives. But a song is more than just music, isn't it? A song is music married with a text in just such a way that those lyrics and that music really touch us. Maybe it brings back a memory. Maybe it's something that we've forgotten about or an experience that we've gone through before. Maybe it just says something that we need at that moment. One of those moments for me was in the summer of 1985 when I was two. <laughs> hey, I tried. Okay. There was a group by the name of Mr. Mr. And on the top charts was this song. Would you play that? You know, it's kind of unusual that a top-selling song has a chorus with the lyrics Kyrie eleison, those words that were drawn from the ancient liturgy of the church that mean, Lord, have mercy. Interesting, isn't it? Lord, have mercy on the road that I must travel. Lord, have mercy in the darkness of the night. You know, how many times in the gospel, though, don't we see people coming up to Jesus, falling at his feet, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. We see it all through the scriptures, don't we? Especially in the Psalms, where it talks about mercy. Think about mercy for a minute. Think about what that means, kindness and goodwill and compassion for people who are in need, for people who can't help themselves. You know, that's the outward look of mercy, but what about the inward look? What about when we need mercy? I say that because, you know, we're so fiercely independent as Americans. We like to be able to know that we can do things on our own. But the times come when we truly need mercy in our lives. Psalm 30 focuses on God's mercy today. You know, if you were to look at it, it talks about being the psalm for the dedication of the temple. But open up your connections to Psalm 30 and look at these verses, and I want to just touch on a few of those. Dedication of the temple. Here's the thing. David, who wrote this psalm, didn't build the temple. So you might say, well, what does it mean, dedication of the temple? And what it is in this situation that I'm going to talk about is God had commanded David at one point to build an altar and to sacrifice on it on a threshing floor. And that became the spot then that the temple was eventually built. So that's why it says dedication of the temple. But really it's a psalm of mercy. And here's what happened. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21 it talks about David. 
kind of started feeling his oats. He got a little proud. And so he decided he wanted to measure his entire kingdom. And so he decided he would have a census to give him in writing account of the vastness and the grandness of what he had. Now he was warned by others not to do this, that it would displease God. But David went ahead and did it anyway. Don't we often do that? And God then was angry, and so God put before David several different punishments, allowing David to make the choice of those punishments. One was famine, one was plague, and David chose the plague for three days. In the midst of the plague, in the midst of seeing his people suffering, David cried out to the Lord, why should the people suffer for what I had done, for my pride and for my arrogance? And that's when God told him to build this altar and to offer sacrifices and that he would relent and stop that. But the psalm is constructed in such a way where David opens with praise and then goes into a confession of what he has done and what it means when God has turned away from him. And hear those words starting with verse 6. He says this, When I felt secure, strong in himself, David was. I said, I will never be shaken. There's his pride. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. He's talking about his kingdom as a royal mountain. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. David was king. David had at his command wealth and forces and power in his kingdom. Anything that he could want, it was done. The king's word was law. But David couldn't fix this problem he had created. Only God could come to the rescue. Only God could show him mercy. Like I said before, it's true of us in our self-sufficiency. Don't we like to solve problems sometimes? Don't we like to kind of get excited when we can fix something, when we can make it work? And if we can't, we say, well, I'll find the answer, and we go on and we go on. But what happens when we can't? What happens when we aren't able to solve the problem? What happens in our research, in our looking, in all the things we do? There doesn't seem to be an answer. What happens when we need to be rescued? You know, that's the story in the gospel today. The story of a woman who had, was hemorrhaging for over 12 years. A woman who had tried everything that she could do. She had run the gamut of her independence. Listen to those words again that Mark records for us. He says that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Ever been there? Ever known somebody who's been there? Gone through that? Wondered why there can't be a fix? Wondered why there can't be a cure? Ever said, somebody should be able to fix this? Doctors should be able to fix this? Science should be able to fix this? But nothing helped. Nothing gave relief. Nothing gave aid. You need to understand the depth of this woman's life, not just because she was bleeding, but what it meant and it brought to her on top of that. 
You see, because she was bleeding, she was ritually unclean. Ritually unclean meant that she couldn't associate with anybody. She couldn't have anyone in her presence. She couldn't go to the synagogue or the temple to worship God. She was cut off and isolated and shunned by others. It also meant that because of this, it was legal grounds that her husband could divorce her and do away with her and isolate her even further. And I'm sure because of this problem, the way that Luke describes it to us as the physician, she wasn't able to have any children, and it lasted her for 12 years to watch her life ebb out her future and her hopes be gone, and to be empty and wondering what she could ever do. But there was somebody in her town, somebody that people were saying was the new Messiah, who had come into the earth. And she was a person who knew what the scriptures said, because every good Jew knew those scriptures. They learned them from their youth. They memorized them. And so she wondered, she wondered if she could go into his presence, but you know she's a good Jew, so she says, I know I can't talk face to face to a man in public. And so she says those words, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And maybe you ask why. I do. Why would she say that? Why would she say if I just touch his clothes? What's the basis for that? I would point you to a verse in Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where it says this about the Messiah who was to come. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Okay, you might say, that's a verse about the Messiah. The Messiah will rise with healing in his wings, but I still don't understand. Well, here it is. Jesus was an Orthodox Jew. He dressed like an Orthodox Jew. He had on the garb that any Orthodox person would have, the different things that are tied, the tassels, the things like that, that they all wore. But he would also have worn a prayer shawl. What they did when they prayed is they would take that prayer shawl and cover their head and their face and go into what they called their prayer closet. And that's where they would pray and address God. Unlike when Jesus gives those examples in scriptures of the Pharisees who stand in the public market and raise their hand and pray to everybody, that was the proper posture for those in humility toward God. Well, as that shawl would go down, the pieces that would hang down below by the bottom of the robe were called the wings of the prayer closet. And hear that word again, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You see, we think about an eagle, but it's talking about the wings of his robe. And I believe she clung to that scripture in Malachi, and when Jesus walked by, she reached out, and that was the part of his robe that she touched, and she was healed. She believed that promise of mercy that the son of righteousness would rise and there would be healing in his wings. And she was healed. But it doesn't end there. Jesus, it says, immediately knew that power had gone out from him, knew that somebody had, clinged to the, had clung to the promises of Scripture, who had faith in what it had said Messiah was able to do. 
And Jesus didn't just leave her in the vacuum of healing to say, she's healed, we're moving on, we've got to get to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Healing never takes place that way. Because it's not just healing, it's Jesus heals. It's the Lord has mercy. It's a person and it's focused in Jesus Christ. It's not mechanical encounter, it's relational encounter. And Jesus wanted to relate to this woman who needed healing, who needed mercy. And so she found him because he was looking for her. And he looked at her and he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. You believed the promises of Scripture. And you reached out and you touched the wings of my robe. And you were healed. Go. Be free. Be healed. And how incredible that is. Jesus wanted to know the person, wanted her to know who it was that is able to heal. David, too, didn't just throw out, well, this is some last-ditch effort that maybe I can get my people out of trouble. He knew that the only person who could make it right, who could heal, who could forgive his sin, who could bless the people once again was God Almighty, the one who could have mercy on him. So what about us? Is God the last place we look when we are in need? Until we have exhausted ourselves and all of our brilliance and all of our research and all that we think we can do? Or do we first seek his mercy? Knowing that Jesus came into this world to be the one to give us mercy and hope and life and peace in his name. Oh, I don't mean that your song for this summer is going to be that old song, Kyrie Eleison. But those words need to be on our hearts. Those words that say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, only you can help me. Lord, only you can lift me up. Lord, only to you do I look for a solution. Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you bless me. And I know all that in confidence because I stand and I look at the cross, the place of your greatest mercy for me, where you laid down your life, as you said, for your friends for you and for me, for those that he loved with an everlasting love. You see, in Jesus we truly find mercy. Mercy in our need, mercy in his presence, mercy in his gifts, mercy in his words, mercy in our lives. Jesus came that we might know who he is, that we might believe he has the power in our darkest night in the storms of our life, to calm them, to be present, and to still for us our aching hearts with his love and grace and mercy. Will you pray with me? Lord, you came into this world that we might know your mercy, that you would rush to us in our helplessness, Help us to admit that, Lord, that we are helpless when it comes to so many things in our lives, that we need to be rescued, that we need your touch, that we need to know you are with us through all things. That's your promise to us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. 
Lift us up again in that mercy that we may rejoice, Lord, that we might praise your name, that we might give you glory and honor. For you are the God who redeems us, who shows us mercy, and who blesses us. In your name, amen.